Welcome to the High Performance Fatherhood Podcast, a podcast focused on helping dads move from fear-driven responsibility to high-performance fatherhood. I am your host, Troy Woods. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the podcast. I'm super excited. I'm sitting here with my guy, um, Sean Hicks. We've been trying to do this for a couple of weeks, but... um, Life happens, definitely. And uh, but I knew he was somebody that I wanted to have on this episode of the podcast. Um, Sean and I, we're gonna go ahead and get this out now. We are family. However, <laughs> I respect so much about what he's doing, what he's done, his life as a father. He's the owner operator, and he's a barber. He's not just a dude that pays the bills. A first and ten barbershop right here. We're in Clinton, right? Yes, sir. In Clinton, Maryland. So, man, welcome. Welcome to the show, Thank man. you. Thank you for having me. Good, man. I, you're welcome. I, I'm excited, man. We're going to get right into it. And I told you kind of before we started that um, this episode is going to be special because I want to release it on two different platforms because I know this conversation is going to um, it's going to be able to reach both of those audiences and I know that they'll be able to get something from it. So right. I'm going to get right into the business side. This conversation, we're going to kind of talk about a little bit about business and then we're going to transition into fatherhood. But um, I'm really interested in knowing one, how long you've been a barber. I know you're going to say your whole life. And, t- <laughs> and two, uh, how did you get started? Okay. Uh, not my whole life. My I've been cutting since I was 14. Okay. Um, I fell in love with the lifestyle when I was a kid, just being okay. dropped off at the barbershop on Saturdays and spending my whole Saturday there. Okay. And, um, yeah, that's how it started. Okay. And, uh, I just, I just grew to love the, just the whole barbershop lifestyle. Okay. You know, the respect that my barber had, you know, when most people say they looked up to a basketball player or actor, yeah. I, I looked up to my barber. Okay. You know, and he didn't even know it. He didn't realize it until probably 15 years later. Wow. When I okay. became a barber and I bumped into him. I was like, bro, you know how much you meant to me? Right, you know? right, right. But he right. never knew it. So when you said you started at 14, mm-hmm. I remember when I was in college, I cut a couple people's heads, you know, kind of like that. Was that kind of like your thing? You just kind of started cutting before you really? Yeah. So anybody that knows me that grew up with me. So a lot of my core clients are the guys I started on. Um, wow, okay. Yeah, wow, so I would okay. say probably 30% of the guys that I cut to this day, I started with. Okay. My neighborhood guys. So I was the neighborhood barber. Okay. So it started with me cutting my close friends for free. Okay. You know, it started with me first. And I cut my own hair. I was like, oh, I didn't really mess up. You know, it wasn't right. that bad. It wasn't great, but it wasn't bad. I was like, I think I could do this. So right. my mom back, so I'm a little older, so I'm, a lot of people might not have heard of Finger Hut. Yeah. It was an ordering magazine yep, yep. catalog. So Lines of before. credit, lines of credit. Exactly. So I reached out to <laughs> so my mom. was like, look, they got this barber kit. And it wasn't even a kit. It was one pair of clippers with some some guards. Wow. And I used to cut everybody in my hair, my in my neighborhood's hair, with those one set of clippers. Okay. And so it started it. So it went from me starting, didn't charge them nothing, to $3, to $5, and $7. Okay. And I thought I was making money. Right. I was really cutting pretty much everybody to the point where I didn't think people went to the barbershop. That's how busy I was. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So when 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 was the first time you 
like when it's out of a brick and mortar? Like when you all right, so was that it, your was, were you in somebody else's shop or did you just start off doing no, your own thing? I definitely started in someone else's shop. Um it it's crazy because uh I was in barber school. I went through a rough period. I lost my mom and mm-hmm. just lost my way. And I reached out to my dad and was like, look, I messed up. I left home, but I had no direction. Mm-hmm. And he was like, look, you need to find a trade. And he was like, whatever you decide, I'll go ahead and pay for it. But you need to find something. Right. And um, I was like, well, okay, let's go to barber school. Went to barber school. But being that I had been cutting for years before then, mm-hmm. when I got to barber school, barber school, what I tell a lot of people, you yeah. learn how to cut hair in a barber shop. A barber school teaches you the fundamentals and the bookwork, um, but you won't be a barber until you get into a shop. Okay. So, so what happened was I went to a I went to Bladesburg Barber School under Mike Harrison. Um, is that on Rhode Island Avenue? Uh, what is that? It's in Bladesburg. That might be Rhode Island. It, it was I, okay, okay. I know that I'm, I'm not familiar with the area, but okay. it's it's still there. It's okay. still wow. open to this day. Um, so what happened was I was that guy at barber school that. I really didn't have to do what everybody else did. I was the one that walked around and helped fix haircuts. Okay. Um, so from one your day, real world experience from exactly. Okay. Yeah, just because I was already doing it, and it was no need for me to go through what everybody else was doing through because I was already doing it. Right. Right. So um, one day, the lady came in. Her name was June. I can't think of June's last name, but she had a shop. She was opening up a shoes from Barbados. Okay. She opened up a shop in Spring Hill Lake. In okay. Greenbelt. Okay. So if anyone's familiar with the area, it's uh, Spring Hill Lake, if, if I'm not mistaken, is one of the biggest apartment complexes in the United States. Wow. Um, behind Queensbridge, I think, in New York. Um, but, yeah, I didn't know that until I started working. But it had its own shopping center. Okay. Inside the community center. I mean, inside the community. And she was opening up a barbershop. So she was looking for barbers. So when she came in, Mike was like, yeah, you can take Sean. And that's how I started. And that's how I started. Yep. So... Where it's funny because I know some of the history, not and I mean a small part, right? But where did you first open first and ten? Like, okay, so let me kind of bridge that together. Okay, um, so when I got there, she basically opened up a shop on a block in North. Well, I'm sorry. Once we got, I stayed probably in Spring Hill Lake probably about a year. To the point where then she wanted to move into another location. Mm-hmm. So we went to, uh, she moved the shop to Georgia Avenue on okay. a corner, on a block where it was four barber shops that have been there for years. Okay. So I remember being there in the first month and I just moved out on my own, got my first apartment. And I remember getting there and like I was spending more money to get to work than I was making a week. Right. And I remember going back to the barber school like, Mike, I'm going broke. I right. said, I'm losing money. I just got an apartment. This not a third. And he was like, look, you can go to my shop in Clinton. Hey, everyone. Listen, I hope you all are enjoying this episode of the podcast, but I just wanted to stop for a moment to tell you about my favorite camera bags in the whole world by Think Tank Photo. And you guys, I think they're my favorite because the build quality is absolutely phenomenal. Listen, right here, I have my Production Manager 50 and I also have my Airport International Series roller bags. These camera bags go with me everywhere. Now in this particular bag, maybe I have a couple of camera bodies and some lenses and speed lights, or maybe I'll have all of that as well as my strobes, my light stands to include my C stands, light modifiers, you name it. Everything that goes in here, I always know that my gear is going to be protected, whether I'm traveling through the city or whether I'm on and off airplanes. I promise you 
these bags, this equipment will protect your gear. Now, maybe you're not in the market for a roller bag. Maybe you're looking for something in the backpack style. Maybe you're looking for something for cable management or your memory cards. Think Tank Photo is going to have everything that you need. So I want you to go to thinktankbags.com. That's thinktankbags.com. Go through the inventory, see if there's something that you like. And I promise you, if you invest in one of these bags, you will not be disappointed. Now, let's get back to the episode. Which at that time was Harrison's Barbershop okay. that he owned. He had three shops at the time. But this was one of the ones that was his baby, um, which was on at... Um, 9014 Old Branch Avenue, Clinton. Okay. All right. So I went there. Long story short, I stayed there probably about, that was probably 98. Mm -hmm. And eventually I talked them into selling me the location in 05. Okay. Yeah. So that was... Clinton, like where exactly is that in Clinton? That's um, it's uh, right beside most people probably know BK Miller. It's yeah, intersection literally is across the street from my present location. Oh, okay, so right, okay, <laughs> it's like literally I can that look way. at it right now. It's, okay, it's okay. Right so this is your second. So this has been your second location. Yes, okay. same name, second location. So I spent eleven years there, okay. and I've been here sixteen. Well, I'm sorry, eleven years there and six years here. Okay, wow. Yeah. So man, let like. You know, if you go on Instagram, you go on YouTube, right. like everybody got tutorials up, everybody mm-hmm. talking about like barbering. But I want to know like what has being a, a shop owner, operator and a barber who's had high profile clients yourself. Right. What has that been like as far as focusing on still your craft, your particular mm-hmm. set of clients and running a shop where you have other barbers like what has that experience been like it's hard it's it's hard because you expect everyone to have the same drive and focus that you do right and what i've learned over the 17 years of business they don't and early in my career like i said it was a blueprint i jumped out there i didn't have mike was a hands he was loosely a mentor and i don't even think he understands he was how much i used his blueprint and a mm-hmm. lot of things that he did when i worked for him mm-hmm. um and under harrison's and I tried to apply it when I got the opportunity to run a shop. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I made a lot of mistakes early um, because I I don't mince my words. I'm very blunt. And so a lot of people can take that as being rude. So I look at it like if I'm doing something, I expect you to do it. I'm not a vocal kind of guy. I, I try to lead by example, mm-hmm. by my work ethic when I come in. And how I leave and how I work when I'm in the shop. Mm-hmm. You know, early in my career, I was totally different to where I am now. You know, in what, in what way though? Like, uh, what, what, what would be like something that jumps out to you that say, that will say, you know what, I'm not like that anymore. If you can name one thing, communication. Okay. Um, at that time, I would just say it. I didn't nurture no you. Filter. No filter. Like, you you messing up. You know right, what I mean? Instead of right. like, okay, this is what you should do. Okay. Back then, I probably wrote the people the wrong way. Like, look, I'm just very blunt. And like I said, that could be taken wrong. You know, I, instead of nurturing people and teaching them, I expected them to already know. Right. And, but a lot of times, like, I didn't know how to be a shop owner. They didn't know how to be a, a professional barber. Okay. But I didn't take that in account early. I learned that over years. Okay. And... My first group and crew of guys that I had, 
I'm not going to say guys because I had young ladies as well. The first group of people that I had, they probably tell you that I was brash. They probably tell a lot of things that I did wrong, Mm -hmm. you know, but I can tell you that my second group probably would have a different uh, opinion of me now than I did then. So what would you say, like, if for – up and coming barbers that are just getting mm-hmm. into it or barbers that have kind of been into it for a minute. Um, everybody wants a high end clientele, <laughs> right? And and you and I have kind of talked offline right. a little bit about kind of what that entails, what right. that looks like. Right. Because uh, people just, they go for the bag. You know, they right. just want, like, I know I'm going to get paid if I can get these types of clients. Right. But tell, like, explain to folks what it actually means to have that level of clientele and what it, what does it, what does it demand? What does it ask for? Uh, I'm going to tell you now it it demands to be on call at any time. Cause you have to understand when you start dealing with ball players, entertainers and stuff like that, they don't work the regular nine to five schedule. Mm -hmm. So it's a sacrifice when it comes to time. You know, I'm a dad, I have a family. So it's, I'll get a call. Like, for instance, I cut several Wizards mm-hmm. over the years. And you got to realize a lot of times their game isn't over, let's say, 10, 30, 11 o'clock. <laughs> mm-hmm. They go out to eat. You know, then my phone rings. So we're talking 12, 1 o'clock in the morning. You got a wife, you know, right. that, that that phone rings. And she's like, why are you leaving this time of night? You know, right, right, but, right. You know, she understood, but she was just more about my safety. You know, me moving around them times of night. But it's a sacrifice. Um, because you have to be at their call, right? You know when they need you. So that's some one of them things where a lot of people might not understand. They might look at the glory. You know, I'm doing this, that, and the third. But it was more of a headache than anything because a lot of times, wow. you know, those guys that live that type of life, they're used to people being at their beck and call, right? You know, right. and they're they're not used to people saying no. You know, I, I don't want to put <laughs> one of the ball players' <laughs> name out there, but uh-huh. it was his rookie year. He just got with the Wizards. And I've been dealing with him for a f- couple months at the time, and and I seen how he treated a lot of people that, you know, that he dealt with. Right, right. So right. I'm sitting there cutting, and I can see him a phone ring, he, and he'll be like, "Just brush it off, brush it off." So one night he calls me and asks, "Hey, can you come out?" I said, "No problem." I jump in the car. It's probably eleven, twelve. Mm-hmm. I sit out in front of his apartment. I see him pull up. I sat there. Sat there. He didn't call. I sat there 45 minutes, 50 minutes. I'm texting him. Then it got to a point where I left. Mm-hmm. And he was like, why did you leave? I said, yeah. he candidly. I was like, bro, man, you had me waiting almost an hour, and I saw you pull up. Right. And he was like, why didn't you wait? I said, I'm I'm a grown, I'm old enough to be your dad, first of all. So right. respect my time because you know my situation. Right. So, you know, we had a little back and forth. I left. I, he was like, you're not coming back? I said, no, I'm not coming back. He didn't call me for two weeks. He called me back and apologized. I was like, look, I'm sorry. I'm just getting to the league. I'm just trying to find my way. But, you know, long story short is you have to set your boundaries. Um, you have to let them know you are a man. I'm not a fan. Right. And I think that's why I that's good. My, my growth through that world went pretty quickly because I showed them I'm not a fan. I didn't right. ask for anything. I didn't. You know how was the game? This, this, that, third. Nah, this is business. And once right. they stood, once that, once they understood that, it just took off. So speaking, that's that's a good transition. So speaking of the business side, mm-hmm. right? Like, <laughs> 
people that know me, they see me like they mm-hmm. know. Okay, he he probably cutting his own stuff, right? And I ain't gonna right. lie, too. <laughs> like I'm not like, I'm, right. but I remember when haircuts was ten dollars, hmm. right? Right. What do you like? One, I believe one of the hardest things in business, especially when you already have clientele at established prices. Right. One of the toughest things is to scale your pricing yes. model, right? Right. So for folks that are apprehensive about doing that, like mm-hmm. what are your thoughts towards like s- scaling business, right? right? Because I think as a creative, and which is definitely what you are, mm-hmm. people sometimes take for granted, especially when you're dealing with people that own businesses, people that are public figures. Right. Because um, I tell my wife this all the time as a makeup artist, people don't understand that w- the service that you provide is a big part of controlling the look of their brand. Exactly. So with that, there's value in that. So mm-hmm. how would you, if someone was saying they were interested, like, I need to grow, I need to charge more, I need to do whatever. Like, right. what's the mindset that goes into positioning your business to to do that. So you can demand that price point. Yes. Okay. So, all right, I can do that twofold. Okay. In the shop and when it comes to dealing with, you know, high end clientele. Okay. All right. So I always felt that I didn't want to, I felt wrong for charging a certain price point. Okay. Um, to regular people just because I wanted, I, I thought old school, you know, but you have to the times change. Mm-hmm. So what I've, I'm going to use one of my old barbers, for example. So he was a guy that, Wanted to charge a certain price point, but he didn't give that price point service. He was a talented barber, mm-hmm. but it's more to charging $60, $70 for a haircut than the haircut. Mm-hmm. You know, what mm-hmm. I tried to preach to him was you have to, you, you're selling an experience when you start charging a certain price point. Okay. And his problem was he didn't greet his clients. He, he, okay. he, his body language was bad, you know. He didn't ask him about their day. He didn't correspond with him. Wow, he didn't okay. have dialogue with him whatsoever. I'm like, it's a lot of talented barbers out here. You have to be separate yourself. You have to offer what comes with that price point, you know. And that's one thing that to this day, with my regular clients, in every year, I'm gonna say, I'm not gonna say every year. Every other year, I've probably gone up okay. on my price on my regular my clientele, but. Most people, I'm always worried, like, man, how many people I'm going to lose when I do this? Right, right. You know, because everybody, you know, because I know most of my clients, because I'm intimate with my clients. I talk to them. I know them. I know their family. I know their kids. I know their situations. And I know a lot of times that that price point doesn't fit into their budget. But I have to, you have to charge what you feel that you're worth. You know, mm-hmm. you feel that you're selling a service or you're giving a service that's deserving of a certain price point. You have to charge it. Mm-hmm. And surprisingly, I don't lose clientele, you know, because one thing I always tell my guys, I treat my clients like family. They take care of my family. So mm-hmm. I work for them. That's a good point. You know, that's so, you know, that's one thing I always have done. And, you know, when I come in, I know everything about my clients, even the ones I don't sit there and talk to on a daily basis and get deep into it. Mm-hmm. I know them, you know, and I make it my business too. And it's a reason why when holidays, birthdays and things like that come up, my kids get gifts. I get gifts, mm-hmm. I get bonuses, even mm-hmm. though I'm charging a certain price point, mm-hmm. I still get those things mm-hmm. because I give that back in the service that I give, you know, and that's just my day-to-day clients. Then when it comes to uh, dealing with 
the celebrity clientele and the higher end clientele, that was by happenstance. I didn't. So I went the first time I cut one of the guys from the Wizards. I was like, Ooh. he was like, so how much I owe you? I was like, $50. He was like, what? <laughs> he was like, he's like, he, he literally was like, bro, don't you ever charge anybody $50. <laughs> He was like, look, here's 175, you know, because you got to realize you're charging. You're first of all, you're packing all your equipment. Yeah. You're bringing your service to them. You're selling a convenience. Right. So they don't have to come in. And it's if any barber, you talk to any barber, anybody, yourself and your wife, because you in the Mm -hmm. same field. It's tough to give you that that look that you want out of your workplace. Yeah. You know, so it's tough. So it's it's double that. So. You're selling convenience and the product has to match it. But, you know, I was told, like, look, bro, don't you ever sell yourself short. You know, you're right. doing a lot. And these guys make good money. So, yeah. you know, and it's funny you brought that up because I watched a video of Patrick Beverly. It's uh-huh. like these barbers are getting out yeah, of here. Yeah, I saw that. You saw that? <laughs> it's like they're charging $300. is not a third. Yeah. But, you know, when I was dealing with John Wall and these guys, I don't hate to drop names, but it's they pay me for your time. Right. It's more the time and the convenience. Yes. They understand what you're sacrificing. The yeah. ones that care. Yeah. You know, lucky I can say that the people that I've dealt with, I've never had a a, a, a difficult client when it right. comes to that that high end. They understood. They understood who I was and who right. what I had, and they paid for that. Okay. They understand. I'm walking away from my family twelve at night. You know, coming back two three in the morning. Right. You know, so they paid for that time. Okay. Okay. So look, let's like. That's a good transition because going, let's talk about the family aspect, right? right? Um, having three kids, having like, man, being away, because I, I know you're a caring dad. Yeah, I do. And so any time, I don't know if people really understand that, any time that you have to spend away from your family, mm-hmm. like that's premium time for me. Yeah. Like, Like if I... Especially if you call in on like a holiday, if right. you call in like, and I got a, okay, you got to pay for that. Right. right. But I want to know, like, how has fatherhood changed you? And I'm just be candid and be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Um, in the beginning, I didn't handle it the best. You know, but I look, I tell people all the time to be successful, it's going to take some sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times when you're a family person, the sacrifice is time. Mm-hmm. But it was to a point where, I was missing out on a lot of experiences with my children that I can't get back, you know, just because I was so hell bent on mm-hmm. developing and building something. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I will say, and you know, what I always try to stress now that I know I should have made my family more a part of what I was doing. You know, um, it was one of them things like, this is me. This is my thing. This is my brand. But I, at the, on the, in that same sentence, I was saying this is a family business. Right. But I didn't make my family a part of it. So in the beginning, I dropped the ball. You okay. know, so, you know, now that I knew, know this, I try to make and I want to make them more a part of what I do. Okay. So I talk more about what I do. So they understand. My kids always understood I'm working. Mm-hmm. And I would always let them know that, look, for me, for us to live a certain lifestyle, I have to be away. Mm-hmm. So they understood. But at the same time, I did miss out on a lot of quality time, you know, especially with my wife. Right. You know, with my kids were understanding, but I didn't have that same dialogue with her. And it made, I'm not going to lie, it made a lot of friction right. just because of the hours. You got to realize, yeah, yeah. you know, uh, I leave I, it's 12, 14 hour days. 
Um, so when I leave, they either are going to school or sleep and I'm gone or they're, you know, mm-hmm. but by the time I get home, they're asleep mm-hmm. and she, or she's then put them to bed and she's getting ready for bed. And I've missed out on a full day, right. you know, right. and at that time I wasn't an iPhone user. So it wasn't like I could <laughs> FaceTime and have that communication he was, with him. He was green bubble. He, yeah, he was, I was green guy, bubble dude. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Still yeah. green bubble. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I do. But at the same, but like, I, if I could go back, I definitely would do it differently. Okay. And, but, you know, you live and learn. Um, What are, like, I know we mentioned the time aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Or are there, were there any other mistakes that you feel um, outside of time? Or was mm-hmm. time, like, your biggest adversary oh. when, when it comes to, when it comes to fatherhood specifically? Uh, I use, and I think we, like you said, off camera, we talked about being present, mm-hmm. not present. You know, yeah. I was, uh, my dad was, a uh, when I, when people ask me how my dad, my, my dad's been in my life my whole life and still mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. love to death. My dad was my best man at my wedding. He's mm-hmm. my best friend. Y'all just was looking like too. <laughs> <laughs> I look just like him. You know, they call me little him when right, I go to right, my right. hometown or whatever. Right. Um, but my dad was always in my life, but when I describe him, is he was a provider. Mm-hmm. You know, he wasn't a dad. He didn't teach me a lot of things. Okay. My dad was he came from a military background. Okay. His dad was military. He was military. I get it. Yeah. Um so it was one of those things where it's old school. Um I make the money, you take care of the family. Okay. And much as I always told my wife and myself I didn't want to be that type of dad, mm-hmm. I ended up being that dad because mm-hmm. I was so hell bent on giving my family a certain lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um that I was present, but not present. You can be there and not be there. So knowing knowing what you know now, right? Like, and and cleaning up mm-hmm. some of those things, right? Like, have you been able to start making the adjustments oh, now? Yes, I mean, like I just told you, um, this last two years has been a, a complete three hundred and sixty for me when okay. it comes to myself and how I deal with my family. Um, it probably started a little before then, but I'm starting to see the fruits of my labor in this last two years. Okay, um, okay. Is like I made a conscious decision to be a better dad, be present in mm-hmm. the moment, and put my family first, not my business. You can do you can. It's hard to do, but you can do both. It's about and it's about finding that that median and making them, you know, a part of it. That was actually one of the questions I had for you was okay. about family and business and the mm-hmm. balance, right? right? Because you know, um, a lot of people will say there's no there's no balance and mm-hmm. what would they from where i have understood it mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that things are just always off it's just whenever you're doing whatever you're doing you got to be 100% in it whether Facts. that's business or that's family Facts. so Facts. is that where you have made the adjustment understanding like I, being present yes because we were speaking earlier. I told when I give advice to the young guys that they reach out to me, I've, I've gotten to a point where now I use my platform to help, help others that, mm-hmm. that are coming up, learn from my mistakes, learn from the things that I've learned. Mm-hmm. Um, with anything that you do, you need to put a hundred percent in it. And that's what I always tell them. You, you're not going to get a hundred percent results until you give it a hundred percent effort. And a lot of times, like I said, once again, and to be successful, you have to sacrifice and a lot of time is time. But mm-hmm. once you get to a certain point, you have to find how to balance it with, you know, your family life. Mm-hmm. And I hate to say it, it took me a while, 
Mm-hmm. You know, and but that's I'm, real though. You know, I mean, and this and just being honest, and it, it took me a while, and I there's a lot of bumps in the road. I almost lost my family. I'm mm-hmm. not gonna lie to you. I'm being honest. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, this last two years it taught me that mm-hmm. I had to almost lose my family to understand that I had to be better. You know, not just for me, but for them. You know, and that, that's part of these these conversations that we had. Because the one thing about us as guys, we mm-hmm. don't talk, and, right. and part of this platform um, is to at least get the conversation mm-hmm. started or to let other dads know, Hey, look, you're not in this by yourself. Right. Cause you see so many, especially, um, the situation that just happened with Twitch and all right. sorts of stuff. Like so many people that are, especially creatives, mm-hmm. like you, every time you operate and I, I was saying this, um, I, I told my wife this actually after he passed, I said, every time a creative operates in their gift, they give a piece of themselves away. <laughs> and a lot of times, That's big. they don't replenish it. Right. So for us as creatives to do what we do, we're giving something of us to that person. Mm-hmm. And if you want to grind, a lot of times you don't stop. Like for me, my family replenishes a lot. Right. You know what I mean? But if you don't stop, You'll wake up and you empty and you like, I got all this stuff and it's like, yeah, I don't know what to do with it. Yeah. You're hundred percent correct. Because a lot of times, like, like I said, I went, I went through a period where a lot of people that I, I started to, I was, I'm a, I'm an introvert, first of all. Mm-hmm. But since I've gotten into therapy and so forth, I've learned to express myself. I've learned to be vulnerable, let people know what I was going through. Mm-hmm. And when I started doing that, I seen how many people needed it, you know? And like you said, you give out so much but you didn't get it back. You know, you're giving out, you're giving out a piece of you. Mm-hmm. And I, what I found in this time was I started, once I started showing my vulnerability, because everyone was like, what you, you go through this, you're this. And you know, then people put me on a pedestal where I felt like I was perfect, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and you carry that and you don't realize, you know, when your loved one's telling you, like, bro, you got problems, you yeah. know, you that's know? difficult. And I, I want everybody to kind of hear that. Like, as creatives, no matter what your field is, mm-hmm. you if you're decent, don't mention if you're good or great. Right. You're always hearing how great what you do is. Exactly. And you run with that <laughs> and forget about your yo, faults. You suck at finance. Yeah, exactly. You know what I'm saying? You or suck you, at being a dad. You yeah. suck at being a husband. Yeah, you know? it's like, <laughs> you, know, it's like you, don't, you don't you don't see it. You it's don't the hear accolades it. Right. that kind of, you know, and that's that's a lot of times I feel like um that's where we that's where we miss the market. Mm-hmm. But real quick, Definitely. so you mentioned therapy. Yes. How has that been for you? Great. I've been <laughs> I've been waving my therapy flag for the That's last good. probably solid year and a half. How long you been in? Two, not in. I, yo, see two, that don't. <laughs> how long you been in, man? Like how long have you been in therapy? Um, two years. Like I told you, okay. man, I, I okay. literally was on the brink of losing my family. Okay. And the first thing I wanted to do was find out the, my the chinks in my armor that I didn't think I had. You know, and therapy was great. I'm on my second therapist, but. I would love to say her name, but she is the best person. I've been dealing with her probably about three, four months now. Okay. And I swear I can't. I, I Anybody want to listen? I would like, look, bro, you got a problem? You, I, I got some help for you. That's you know, good. Just talk. You have to talk. You know, I think as black men, we're brought up to be, we we can't show softness. We can't mm-hmm. show weakness. You know, yeah, you know sure. what do you mean? You 
you got a problem. No, yeah. you deal with it. You make it right. right. And that's how I live. Because like I told you, I came through a, a structured background when it came to how the men reacted. Mm-hmm. And I told myself that I want to break that chain with me. Mm-hmm. I want to break that that generate quote unquote generational curse right. when it comes to not showing vulnerability and not being happy with your faults. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you know, most people are like, uh, that's what I got. I have a thing where I used to say, I know my faults, but that's not enough. You can know them, but you're still going to, you're right. just walking with them, you right. know, right. you know, and I never did anything to make them better. You right. know, so it's just like, uh, you got to deal with the asshole that I am. Right. You know, instead right. of trying not to be that asshole. Right. You know, so right. I, once I got in the third. Right. I see what you're yeah, yeah, You I see what I'm you. saying? Yeah, yeah. You know, you know, my dad was like, you know, he gave me, when I was in a dark time in my life, I asked him, I was like, Pops, man, this, this, that, and the third going on. And he was like, hey, look, they just got to deal with it. This is who we are. Wow. And then it, it literally was a light switch. It was like, nah, man, I don't want to be that way. <laughs> right. You know, right, why does right. they have to adjust to me right. instead of me wanting to be better? Right. You know, and that's when I got into diving into myself and finding the faults. Okay. Yeah, knowing is half the battle, but now let's let's just try to fix it. Right. You know, I remember having that conversation with my dad and pulling up in my garage and calling my wife and was like, I became who I said I didn't want to become. And she was like, Look, now you know. Now you can fix it. And that's what I've been doing for the last two years. That's good, man. Yeah. What what advice for new fathers? Hmm. What advice would you give to them? It could be in any any particular area. If you if there was a person that came to you and said, Look, man, I'm about to be a dad, or it might be one of them situations mm-hmm. you cutting, mm-hmm. man, my girl pregnant. I don't know what to do. What it's simple? What would you What would you tell them? They come first, regardless of whatever you got going on. Your family comes first, and I've always thought that's what I was doing because I felt that what I was doing was for them. Mm. But just being honest, I was being selfish. I was doing it because of the accolades. I liked how I felt. I liked how people put me on this this pedestal. Mm-hmm. You know, I said I was doing it for my family, which I was financially, mm-hmm. but emotionally and being there, I wasn't there. You have to be there for your family. Your family come first over anything. It's hard. It's easier said than done because, like I also said, for you to be who you want to be business-wise, right. it takes sacrifice. Right, right, right. It's, it's finding that median. You know, right. it's it's tough. Man, listen, I feel like um, we we could sit down and just talk for oh, yeah. a long time. And <laughs> Definitely. We're we, we, we going to have to figure out a way to do a part two. I'm I'm going to figure out something creative to do Um Maybe even talking about fatherhood, maybe yes. with some other barbers or what, maybe have a little round table. Love to. Um, Love to. I got it. I, I appreciate you, man. Yeah, I appreciate like, you having me. Yeah, this is um this is good. And one the biggest thing is I think a lot of people will be able to get some nuggets from this. Yeah. Um, because it's all about becoming a high performance father. Yeah. Like a lot of us are good at what we do, but we neglecting our health, we're neglecting so many different yeah. other things. But I'm just hoping that we can all come together, man, and and then figure this thing out. Like I told, it's no blueprint to fatherhood. It's, none. it's, it's not. <laughs> you can give some strategies, right? Every kid is different, right? Every mom is different. Every yeah. dad is different, man. And I think you know if we can kind of build a community, we can bounce some stuff around, man. Definitely. Just make it a little bit better for the next one. So that's what we're here for. Yeah, man. I appreciate you coming on the show, Thank man. You. All right, y'all. We're gonna end it with that one. Appreciate Take care. it. Say how you feeling right now. Say how you feeling.
Thank you for listening to another episode of the High Performance Fatherhood Podcast. For questions, comments, or suggestions, feel free to email us at podcast at 300fathers.com. Say it how you say it.